Now the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. It's been a hard year. So much uncertainty. So much death in our parish, Marion and Malcolm and others. Faithful members of our congregation here. Every time I... Oh, it's not lit. You haven't lit Marion's candle. Which one? The one? Yeah. Is it? It's just hiding. And when we light that, we think of Marion, who set that up. It's very clear it had to be lit. It's a year where we've had to learn to do things differently, how to do online church. And we've had to learn to do new things like Zoom morning teas and washing our hands. It felt like every 20 seconds for 20 seconds, and we're still washing our hands for 20 seconds. And scanning our COVID app wherever we go and keeping track of where we've been, either using the app or uh, using some other means. And we still have some of those books left for those that don't have the apps. It's sobering to think that as we live in our relatively normal lives, with this edge of uncertainty tinged with some anxiety about cases at the border, and the possibility of community transmission, and all of that is so tiring, so tiring. In the USA, they have, well, they're averaging a million new cases a week, a week, over 3,000 deaths a day, and 100,000 people in their hospitals at the moment. It's been hard, even here, with many feeling the social consequences, the economic consequences, and the personal consequences. It's been a hard year, and it's not over yet. This is a year for Isaiah. And we're lucky we get to hear Isaiah all through Advent, which is marvellous. So, Isaiah, we heard chapter 40, uh, which is a favourite of mine. Uh, Our youth group in uh, Fielding, so many years ago, was called 40th chapter after this, uh, after what we heard today. And, um, but if you were reading Isaiah through, you'd kind of get a little bit of a jar at the beginning of chapter 40, because chapters 1 to 39 are set during the Assyrian and uh, yes, during the Assyrian kind of rampage through the northern kingdom and the destruction of the northern kingdom to be obliterated from history, never to return, and then they come and set up camp around Jerusalem. And Isaiah is very clear that God has got this under in hand. God is a sovereign God. Jerusalem will be safe. And in fact. At that point, Jerusalem was safe. The Assyrians, for some reason, had to return. They couldn't be that far away, right on the edge of their supply lines, and they had to go home. And so Jerusalem was saved. And then about a hundred years later, a new new empire rose, the Babylonians. And this time, they uh, set up their ramparts around Jerusalem, and Jerusalem fell. And the king and his family... A lot of his family, a lot of the leading families, a lot of the leading intellectuals and scholars, a lot of the artisans were then taken into exile. 
Now, theirs was not a hard exile. They did have to leave home. They had to live in a different place, in a different world. But they lived lives of relative comfort. In fact, many of them kind of rose to prominence in that world. So they lived lives of comfort and wealth and power. So theirs was not a hard exile. But it was far from home. But then, well, Nebuchadnezzar set up a puppet king in Jerusalem. And when the Babylonians were a little bit preoccupied, he thought this was his chance to not be a puppet king, but to be the king on his own. So they rose up and they defeated the Babylonians in Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar was not a great fan of that idea, so he sent another army over. And this time they demolished the walls, (coughs) tore them down. They razed the city. And they destroyed the temple. This temple that was the centre of their religious life. The house of God where the Shekinah of God dwelt. God's glory, God's presence. This temple which made sense of their world was gone. And if you read the book of Lamentations you can get a sense of the sense of dislocation and trauma and despair around that event. It shattered them. And then, well, there were more exiles, but these exiles, these were not happy exiles. These were not comfortable exiles. The king was forced to watch his family be executed before his eyes were plucked out, and he was sent in exile, a blind man, and others similar fates. And then about 50 years later, it was clear that the Babylonian time was up. There was a new power on the horizon. The Medes, the Persians, Cyrus, their king. And it was clear that Babylon was going to fall. And that raised a whole mix of emotions. For a whole lot of them, these exiles, this was not good news. They had comfortable places, positions of power, positions of influence. They knew where they belonged. They've lived here for some of them 70 years. This was their home. And their home, their world was about to fall to a new power. And this power allowed exiles to go home. Did they want to go home? Like They knew nothing about Jerusalem. They knew nothing about Israel. Did they really want to go home? They were happy where they were. And then there were those who longed to go home. They'd never enjoyed being in Babylon. It was hard to be in Babylon, worshipping foreign gods, trying to hold true to their god in the midst of the worship of Marduk, the powerful god that had defeated their god. And so, chapters 1 to 39 are at the time of the Assyrians. Chapter 40 is at this time. We jump about, I don't know, 150 years. And so it's clearly not the same Isaiah. This is people, his disciples, people who had continued to read his scrolls, and they are now taking his his scrolls from 150 years earlier, and they are reinterpreting his words to this new situation. Words of hope. To this new world that they find themselves in. So how do we understand this 
new second Isaiah. So second Isaiah is uh, 40 to 55, and then third Isaiah, which is actually to exiles who have gone home. They're back in Jerusalem, and it's not what they thought it was going to be like, and they're really struggling. So some people call 40 to 65 or 66 uh, second Isaiah, and others have second Isaiah and third Isaiah, depending on they're around the same time, just to different groups of people. So how do we understand what we heard today? Well, some people suggest that it's kind of like a game of hide and seek. You know, the counter counts to 10 or 100 or whatever the count is and then says, coming ready or not? Well, this is God saying, coming ready or not? And, well, not just coming, not just coming, but rushing headlong to the exiles and nothing, but nothing is going to stop this God. Not valleys, not mountains, not hills, nothing. This God is coming and the way is being made straight. So it's God is making the way straight for God here. And God is coming ready or not. Which to some of these people was a great image. God is coming ready or not. And coupled with the Good Shepherd tradition, the reinterpretation of that, that is in this reading as well. This is wonderful news. Words of hope and comfort. Words of hope and comfort for all who find themselves lost in exile, lost in the wilderness, then and today. And that's why it's good news that we have Isaiah during this time. Because Isaiah is a prophet for our time. His words are for us today. Of course, not everyone was super excited to hear that this God was coming ready or not, because they were more on the not side. And they would be quite happy if God just stayed where God was, because they didn't want this God to come back at all. So, how do we make sense of what Isaiah is offering us? Well, the first thing to note is that in this reading and throughout Isaiah, he affirms God's sovereignty, that God is in control, ultimately. And so for him, God caused the exile. These people had misbehaved. He had used the Babylonians to punish them. Punishment had got a little bit out of hand, so they'd got double the punishment. But now he was coming back to rescue them. So we wouldn't want to say that about COVID. I'd want to say... If anyone was responsible for COVID, it's us. The way that we have used and abused our environment and we have slowly shaved away all the barriers that existed between us and other species that made it very difficult for these diseases to jump the species barrier. Those barriers don't exist as strongly as they once did. It's our fault. We did it. The second thing that Isaiah says is a really interesting thing because, well, he does offer a strict reward and punishment kind of understanding of God. You behaved badly, we behaved badly, we got punished, we got sent into exile. The flip side of that is when we behave well, when we do what we're told, we will get rewarded and we will go home. But all that relied on them behaving properly. But they're still not behaving any better than when they were in Jerusalem. In fact, some of them are even worse. And so, 
in this passage we heard today, God isn't waiting around for when they start behaving properly. God is coming now, ready or not. This is a God of mercy and grace that is at work here. This is a God who forgives long before the people have even worked out that something is wrong. This is a God who loves before there was a people. This is a God who continues to love even in the darkest hours. This sovereign God is a God of mercy and grace and love. And this God, Isaiah says, is coming, ready or not. And this God will stop at nothing to find them. And that felt like good news for many of those exiles. And I hope it sounds like good news for us in in our exile this year. God is coming, ready or not. Which brings us to this guy. John the forerunner, dressed up like Elijah, with his camel hair and his leather belt, eating his locusts and honey, which actually is quite a good diet, apparently. (laughs) He is a voice in the wilderness. And Mark uses Isaiah to describe him, but I suspect he also used Isaiah himself. He was, like those writers of 2nd Isaiah, somebody who took the words of Isaiah and reinterpreted them for this new generation. These people, not in exile, but lost in the wilderness of Roman occupation. And he too was preaching, get ready, God is coming, ready or not. And he was inviting repentance, as it says there. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, as I've said, repent, the Greek word for repent is metanoia, which literally means bigger mind. A bigger mind. That is, seeing God, seeing God's world, seeing our place in this world through a different lens. To have a bigger mind, a greater understanding of this world and our place in it. And as we heard for all of the last year with Matthew, or most of the last year with Matthew, and he describes this bigger world that we're invited to see in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he describes this world as a world where all flourish, a world where the common good is held as paramount. A world where the needs of the poor are placed first. A world where all, including, we would say today, all our brothers and sisters in creation are treated with honour and respect and are given what they needed to thrive. When this happens, we have wholeness, completeness, shalom, peace, peace the theme for the Sunday. So I have to lock because my screen's not working. This is what God is working towards. My notes actually say peach. 
I don't think that's the right word. <laughs> God is, working, is inviting us to work towards peace, shalom, completeness, wholeness, which we might call peachy. And this is a bigger world than we're used to. It's a different world than we're used to. So to repent is to embrace this world and to work towards this world. Repentance also acknowledges our blindness, acknowledging our own poverty, and invites us to live in humility, knowing that we don't have all the answers and our way isn't the only way. Being open to a whole new way of being with all others, which sounds very big and very dramatic, but I don't know that it needs to be. Not initially, anyway. This week, our government declared a climate emergency, which in part was due to this young girl in Sweden. Now, she didn't set out to do anything big or dramatic. In August 2018, she set out to go on strike, to sit in front of her parliament in the, shy, in the good weather and the bad weather, and to hold up a poster protesting their lack of action on climate change. It's all she set out to do. And for quite a while she sat there on her own holding up her little sign. There's the shiz on a cold, wet day holding up her sign. <clears throat> and actually for a while no one paid a lot of attention to her. It seemed like a pretty futile gesture. But then people started to notice her and stopped and asked her what she was doing. And when she talked to them they liked what she had to say, and so people started to join her. And then the press got hold of it, and they ran little stories about this, this uh, Greta Thunberg, who was striking from school on Fridays and sitting outside her, her parliament, protesting her politicians' lack of action. And not only did young people start to join her in Sweden, but around Europe, other young people said, well, I'm going to strike on Fridays as well, and I'm going to protest. And last year we saw what that one protest led to, as huge protests across Europe and across the world, as young people took Fridays off and said, governments, you need to do more. And that raised the level of conversation about climate change to a whole new level. You listen to talk radio, all the talk show hosts were outraged and appalled. How dare these young people tell us what to do? Like, we know what we're doing, they should stay in school and leave it to us. Which some of us would go, well, we're doing such a really bad job that maybe someone does need to hold up a sign and say, it's time we took this seriously, because we're not at the moment. And mostly of us are not going to pay a very big price. But these young people will pay a very big price. So they have every right to protest. And out of that, governments have been pushed to take climate change a lot more seriously. It's not a fringe thing anymore. Those young people have moved the discussion from the edge to the centre. And suddenly governments are going, we have to act. And so they are. Because one 15-year-old with Asperger's decided to go on strike one day a week and sit outside her parliament with a sign. 
all she did. It's a very small act. Our little movie at the beginning also talked about little small acts of giving, thinking about the gifts we give, and thinking about how some of those gifts could actually change the world. My little bit won't change the world, but if all of us give a little bit, that will help change the world. And in this church, we support the Christian World Service Christmas Appeal, which I know we still haven't put the things out for. They're in the office, so we'll have them out next week. So I have three questions at the end of that. What does Isaiah offer you this COVID Christmas? What does Isaiah offer you? And the second question is, what does repentance mean for you? And the third question is, out of all of that, what might one small act be for you? What is one small act you can take this Advent? So we're not going to have a creed, we're going to have a conversation. And uh, so I invite you to turn to your neighbours and you might have to pick one of those questions because there's three of them. Bonnie always tells me off having three questions. (laughs) So uh, pick one of those that appeals to you and have a conversation for a few minutes and then we'll pray which will gather all the things you've been talking about and more.